Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Hey, y'all. So my name's Derek Ramsey. Uh, For for everyone who doesn't know who I am, uh, we moved out to Howardsville not too long ago, and I went to Virginia Tech uh, to get my degree, got it in mechanical engineering, and we are in UVA territory right here, so y'all in in this territory might think that those of us in Virginia Tech don't know what we're talking about. (laughs) Anyway, all joking aside, um, (laughs) uh, I did get my degree in mechanical engineering. Um, I do have a, a some background anyway in technical speaking, so um, you may notice that that uh, when I'm speaking it, it might come from that background, so hopefully you'll forgive me. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. So also I guess before I start I want to um, pray real quick um, just to hopefully have God bless what I say. and. Um, so, God, I, I pray that you would um, just give me uh, the ability to speak clearly about your word. I pray that you would bless everything that I say, and I pray that um, all of the glory from anything I say would go to you, Lord, because it's not me who's speaking. It's not me who knows any of this stuff. It's you who lives in me, who is um, giving me this knowledge, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that, um, that you would just uh, pour your love and, and grace out through me um, so that everyone might be made more aware. Um, amen. Um, so, real quick, uh, I really like In Christ Alone, first of all, is like one of my favorite songs ever. Um, it's great. But it also ties into this message. Um, so, can I go back to the previous song, to In Christ Alone? No. Or, okay, that's fine. Don't worry about it. There were a couple of verses in the, um, in the song that kind of tie in really well, but anyway, we'll, we'll pass on that for now. <laughs> um, so what, we're, what are we going to be doing today? Uh, we're going to be going through uh, specifically the latter half of John, uh, but before we get there, John chapter 5, but before we get there, we have to first go back and provide a little bit of background into the earlier parts of John. Um, So what happened to John so far? In John 1, uh, we found that Jesus is God explained, his deepest thoughts and ideas, the very word of God. Um, We also learned that Jesus is life and that he is the light of the world. We learned that John the Baptist was sent to bear witness to Jesus so that all might believe through him. In chapter 2, 
We learned that he has the power to make dirty vessels and their contents, dirty water specifically, that would make you ill if you drank it, into the best wine money could buy, bringing life back to a celebration, back to a wedding feast. Um, how great is that as an illustration of what Jesus actually did for us? We are, are born into this life spiritually dead, just like that water was too dirty to drink. And Jesus has given us the opportunity to be brought back to life just in time for the celebration. No work required on our part. We also learn how important the temple was to Jesus. To the point that he would use a whip to drive people and livestock out of his father's house. In chapter 3, we saw that Jesus uh, told Nicodemus who he was, describing the unseen spiritual world to him. We find that Jesus' heart for the world is not to condemn it, but to save it. Um, let's see, where was I? He clearly states that all it takes for us to be released from condemnation is to simply believe in him. In chapter 4, we saw that Jesus once again described the spiritual realm to someone else. Um, this time, to the Samaritan woman. We see her believing what he says without the evidence of any miracles. All it takes is Jesus' own words. Uh, Jesus arrives in Galilee, and an official of Capernaum requests that he perform a miracle for his son, because his son was sick. Uh, Jesus tells him he won't believe that the man won't believe in Jesus unless he sees signs and miracles, so Jesus heals his son so that this man might believe. Um, the official still doesn't believe even after that until he confirms with his servant the time at which his son was actually healed, which uh, matched the time that Jesus said he was healed. Once he saw that, then the man believed. So um, he, unlike the Samaritan woman, had to have um, a sign or a miracle in order for him to believe. Just thought that was interesting. Um, all right, and that basically brings us up to chapter 5. Uh, so, as I said, we're only going to be speaking specifically about the end of chapter 5, but um, chapter 5 is a very interconnected chapter, and so I'm going to be speaking a little bit as well about the beginning of chapter 5 in more detail than I did about the first four chapters. Um, so we'll kind of get progressively more detailed until we get to um, what you all have been waiting for. <laughs> um, so we'll be going over the first half of chapter 5 real quick. Uh, we see uh, basically it starts off, uh, there's this sick man that's been uh, waiting in this place called the House of Mercy for 38 years. Uh, it doesn't say what he was doing for these 38 years, but we can kind of assume that he was um, kind of a professional beggar, uh, begging alms from the people who would uh, visit the House of Mercy. Um, and throughout all this time, it also says that this man was trying to get into the pool at the House of Mercy, which every once in a while, um, water would spring up, and the first person into the pool would be healed. Um, so he was trying to heal himself throughout this 38 years. He wasn't just trying to beg the whole time. He was trying to heal himself. Um, at least that's what it says. And uh, by the way, why 38 years? Does that have any significance? Um, I mean, it could have just said that for most of his life, um, he was in the house of mercy. I don't really know if 38 years has significance. 
I kind of think it does, but I'm not smart enough to figure it out. So we'll leave that one to be. Um, anyway, so here comes Jesus. Uh, he sees this man that's been waiting for 38 years to be healed, or to heal himself, rather. Uh, and Jesus just says, pick up your pallet and walk, and the man is healed. Um, as Walt said last week, this man may have been resentful that he was healed in this manner. He may have been, I mean, he was sitting there for 38 years, basically, um, trying to heal himself, and all of a sudden this man just comes along and heals him and takes away all of his effort. Uh, so he may have been resentful about that. Um, I don't know. Uh, but as soon as he was healed, anyway, it says that uh, he looked up and Jesus was gone. He had disappeared into the crowd. So the Pharisees see this man and, he, and ask why he was disobeying the law by working on the Sabbath. This man told them that someone told him to work on the Sabbath, and so he was blaming somebody else, else for his actions. Um, so why was he doing this? Does anybody know what the penalty for working on the Sabbath is? It's to be stoned, yeah, to be stoned to death, as it says in Numbers. So um, that's pretty serious. Anyway, uh, <laughs> fast forward a little bit. Everyone finds themselves at the temple. I'll, be, I'll go back to that a little bit later. That's why I brought it up. Um, Jesus finds the man who he healed and tells him, You are well, sin no more, that nothing bad may happen to you. The man then immediately tells the Pharisees that Jesus healed him. I didn't turn that on. Well, now it's on. <laughs> we'll only get half of the message on the... Uh... He's got another mic back there. Okay, well. <laughs> um, anyway, where was I? Uh... Yeah, go and sin no more. You are well. Go and sin no more that nothing bad may happen to you. The man then immediately told the Pharisees that Jesus healed him. Um, was he trying to stab Jesus in the back by telling the Pharisees, uh, kind of pointing Jesus out so that the Pharisees would attack him? I don't know. It might have been. It doesn't really say. Um, I think that ultimately, um, to get the point of the story, it's not really necessary, but I have a second theory um, that uh, I just thought I should share. I really liked what Walt said last week, um, which was basically that uh, this man was kind of a, um, a picture into the heart of the Pharisees uh, because he had been trying for 38 years to heal himself through his own actions, um, and Jesus heals him instead. So he got angry, uh, which we'll see the Pharisees get angry when Jesus points out that they can't heal themselves through the law. Um, it could have very well been a picture into the Pharisees. Uh, but I have a second theory. We'll see what you guys think about it. We can d discuss it after um, the message. Uh, but so it's possible that this man was telling the truth um, on all accounts and that he actually did want to be healed. Um, so Jesus healed him. Now, this man wasn't blind. He, I would imagine, probably saw Jesus' face when he was healing him. It's possible he didn't. It's possible he wasn't looking. It's possible he forgot Jesus' face. But I would say that it's likely that he remembered Jesus' face. And when the Pharisees asked this man who healed him, he could have said, well, I saw his face. I don't really know who he was or whatever. But instead, he just flat out says, it was somebody else. I, didn't, I don't know who he was. Um, 
So he was, in my eyes anyway, protecting Jesus right there. Uh, he had to, like I said before, tell the Pharisees that somebody else told him to do it, otherwise he'd be stoned. Um, so he couldn't have just said, well, I wasn't working on the Sabbath. Uh, this isn't my palate or something. I don't know. <laughs> palate in my hand? What? How'd this get there? <laughs> um, he had to, it was evident that he was breaking the law. So he had to have some reason of why he was breaking the law. So he pinned it on somebody else. Um, but he didn't say that it was Jesus. So afterward in the temple, Jesus then tells him, sin no more. Why? Right after he says, sin no more, the man runs to the Pharisees. Again, why? Um, could they be related? Did he actually lie to the Pharisees in the first place when he said that he didn't know who it was that healed him? Again, you guys have to remember, Jesus had been going to the temple like a lot throughout his life. Every Passover uh, for multiple feasts throughout the year, um, he was, a, I would imagine, a pretty well-known figure in the temple because of his past actions. Um, he never broke the law. And we'll come back to that a little bit later, too. Um, so I would have to imagine that this man would recognize him, but maybe not. Um, anyway, so if he did know that this was Jesus, then he was bearing false witness to the Pharisees in the first place, breaking the law. So when Jesus tells him to sin no more, and he immediately goes to the Pharisees and tells them that it was Jesus... To me, that's like him being, okay, well, I'm not going to bear false witness. I know who it was. I'll tell the Pharisees. So was Jesus actually telling this man, go ahead, go tell the Pharisees. I'll have this discussion with him. Um, I think that he was. I think that it's fairly likely. Um, I don't know if it's 100% correct, uh, but that's my opinion anyway. <clears throat> and uh, one last point there. There's only one witness um, for Jesus actually having told this man that he uh, told this man to pick up the pallet and walk. Um, because if you remember correctly, right after he told this man to pick up the pallet and walk, he disappeared into the crowd. No one else knew what he had done. Um, that could be another reason uh, or another contributing part in the story anyway. Um, I think that that was very deliberate because Jesus only wanted one witness. We'll come back to that as well. Um, actually, I guess we'll say that now. Uh, under the law, as understood by the Sanhedrin, um, in order for a trial to be conducted for somebody, in order for somebody to be prosecuted, there had to be two witnesses. If there was only one witness, no trial could be conducted. Nothing could be brought before the court. So Jesus had purposely made it so that there was only one witness so that they couldn't judge him. Um, so where were we before we got into that whole mess of weeds? Um, the sick man had told Jesus, no, the sick man had told the Pharisees uh, who his healer was. The Pharisees confront Jesus, and Jesus starts laying down his defense, saying, firstly, the Father is working until now, and I myself am working. Jesus then goes on to say, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something that he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son does also in like manner. So here he's saying, if you're going to accuse me, you have to also accuse the Father because I'm just copying what he's doing already. 
Um, and how backwards would that be? I mean, they know that God can't sin. They're the Pharisees. They're the religious elite of Judaism. I mean, that's pretty obvious. God's the one that created the laws. And of course, Jesus knows that, that God can't sin because they're kind of the same. Jesus is the embodiment, as we just said, of the will and heart of God. Um, so there's no way they could convict Jesus because they'd have to convict God first anyway. Jesus then says, and the Father will show the Son greater works than these so that you will marvel. This is just the beginning. If you're not happy with what I represent, Jesus, well, too bad. He said that the Father gave him power over life um, and, in fact, actually has spiritual life unlike anyone else at the time. Um, Unlike, really, the rest of the Edemic race who was born into spiritual death. Jesus was also given the power as judge, so that he would be honored as the Father is honored. And whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father. He then said, He who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. This is possibly talking about spiritual dead hearing and believing, just like the Samaritans did. They heard Jesus' message and believed in him. Um, Jesus goes on uh, to say the following controversial words. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So the question all of us ask is, what constitutes good and evil? And how do I get into the resurrection of life? That sounds a whole lot better than the resurrection of judgment. Um, So, as Walt, Walt mentioned last week, it makes the most sense to say that good deeds, or the good deed, as it specifies, is simply hearing and believing. Um, hearing what Jesus says and believing in him whom he, him who sent, him whom he sent. Am I getting that right? <laughs> um, believing in basically the Father. Um, where was I? Let's see. So, what is the result of that? What is the result of hearing and believing? A resurrection of life. To be brought out of slavery and in fact die to sin and to be reborn into his light, making us clean, just as he made the water of the vessels into clean wine. So, what is evil? I believe... It is to reject Jesus, as the Pharisees have done. Um, And what is the consequence of that? To be judged by the very law that the Pharisees are putting all of their hope on. Of course, there is no one who would pass that judgment. It's impossible. The point of the law was to prove that we can't do it on our own and that we need a Savior. Um, This leads us to the last verse we spoke about last week, which is verse 30. Uh, I can do nothing on my own initiative, 
As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him whom, him who sent me. So he's telling the Pharisees, if you don't believe me, um, if you don't want to believe me, if you really want to be judged, then I will judge you. Not because it's what I want, but because it's the will of God. Again, even here, we see that the heart of God is not to condemn the world, but to save it. He doesn't want to judge these people, but the law is already in place, and it must be followed. So to review, from last week, we see the following. There was only one witness to Jesus' actions, the man that was actually healed, so no trial could be held. Jesus told the Pharisees that he was the Son of God, and he was simply imitating the Father in his actions. Not only that, Jesus goes on to say that he is the judge in the first place, so they have no right to judge him in any way. He went on to spell out what his judgment entails, completely blowing everything the Pharisees thought they knew out the window. Now we'll start talking about the last section of chapter 5. After all that Jesus said to the Pharisees, why should they believe him? He is only one man after all. And yet, as we saw in verse 30, he's saying he is prepared to judge them. So if he's judging them, he's saying that he's going to start another trial against them. Now, their trial against him, there was only one witness. They can't judge him, according to the law. So if he's starting a new trial, he needs witnesses to bring forward, or he can't judge them. Well, as we'll see, he's not just going to bring two witnesses. He's going to bring four witnesses, double the amount of required witnesses, so that there's no doubt about the results of the trial. These witnesses um, validate his previous statements and, in fact, judge the Pharisees themselves. So we'll look at verse 31 first. I should have brought that string up in the beginning, I suppose. Um, If I alone testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies of me, and I know that the testimony which he gives about me is true. Jesus simply states that his testimony by itself, as we just talked about, is useless according to the law. But he says he has others who testify about him. So he's saying he does have witnesses. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. He's talking about John the Baptist. But the testimony which I receive is not from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John the Baptist testified that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, way back in John 1, he said, and I quote, I myself have seen and testify that this is the Son of God. How can you get any more clear cut than that? Jesus says that they rejoiced in the light that John gave off. And the purpose of a lamp is to illuminate something, to lead the way through darkness. Not only that, but a lamp will eventually go out. It will run out of oil. Just like John's ministry had a clear end. It was not meant as anything more than to illuminate the coming of Christ. 
John did indeed lead the way um, as he prepared the way for Christ, proclaiming his name. So why does he mention that they were willing to rejoice a while for a while in his light? I think that they were rejoicing at the beginning of John's ministry when he was proclaiming that the Messiah was coming. They were saying or thinking that the Messiah would bring an end to the Roman oppression of the Jews at the time. What they didn't know is that Jesus was going to bring an end to a completely different oppression, the oppression from sin. So as soon as they found out that Jesus was the one that John was proclaiming, they stopped rejoicing in John's light. They started to refuse John's message. Now Nicodemus did come uh, asking Jesus questions. Uh, and Jesus told him the truth. It doesn't really mention, as far as I could see, um, whether Nicodemus actually believed in what Jesus said or not. But the fact that he came and was asking questions could be um, an indication that he believed in Jesus. It just doesn't say. I don't know. It's inconclusive. Um, so we'll move on to the next verse. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John. For the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus' own actions are his testimony. Let's recap real quick all of his works up to date. He turned the water into wine at Cana. He attended the Passover and overturned the money changers' tables, fulfilling the prophecy, zeal for your house will consume me. He then went to Galilee, passing through Samaria, and performed signs in Samaria. While in Galilee, he healed the son of a, of a royal official from Capernaum. And now, here we are with him healing this man at the house of mercy. None of these acts could have been done without the will of God. And they knew this. Nicodemus admitted that the leaders of the law knew that he was sent by God. Um, now, Nicodemus said that they thought that he was just a teacher that was sent by God. He didn't know that he was a son of God until Jesus actually told Nicodemus that. Um, so unless Nicodemus shared with the rest of the teachers what Jesus said, as far as they knew... Um, Jesus was just a teacher until, well, John actually did say he was the son of God as well. So really they had no excuse. <laughs> um, so does anyone else know any signs that Jesus performed? I mentioned one a little bit earlier. John, well, yeah, Jesus never broke any of the laws. Nobody else in the entire history of the world can say that. Uh, Jesus was the only one who perfectly adhered to the law of Moses. Um, so that's one. Um, I'm sure that there were other signs that weren't mentioned. Um, he definitely uh, fulfilled many prophecies in the Old Testament up to this point. Now, not all of the prophecies from the Old Testament were fulfilled until he um, died and was and was resurrected. But for sure, quite a few of them had been fulfilled. 
Um, so all of that, the acts that were mentioned so far in John, as well as the prophecies that it doesn't mention, um, point to the fact that John is the, that Jesus is the Messiah. The fact that the Pharisees are still persecuting him, even after having seen all of this evidence, is witness to them not believing Jesus in what he's saying. So let's go to the next verse. And the Father who sent me, so this is the third testimony. The Father who sent me, he has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. Jesus very clearly states that the Father testifies of him. Jesus uses this testimony very directly to attack the Pharisees. They haven't heard his voice or seen his face, so they have no way to prove that this testimony is accurate. And you may ask, why can't they hear his voice? They are the leaders of the Jewish nation who, honestly, God is at the head of that nation. You'd think that the leaders of the nation would be able to hear the head's voice if they had any relationship with the head. So what does that tell you? that the leaders of the, this nation had no relationship with God. That's what Jesus is trying to say. The only way, Jesus says, to have a relationship with the Father is to hear Jesus and believe him who sent him, him whom he sent. Um, A.K.A. the Son. So, We'll go on to the next testimony. This is the last testimony. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me so that you may have life. Even the scriptures testify to him. We have seen that the entirety of the Old Testament is full of references of Jesus. <clears throat> As the past few months we've been going through um, Genesis specifically, um, we've seen many prophecies, I guess you could say, or uh, shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. Um, can anyone name any of those? Isaac? Yeah. Isaac is a, a very clear picture of what um, Jesus will do in the future, then the future, now the past. <laughs> well, that's just one. There are many more. Um, but what Jesus is saying is that even with so much evidence of him that we can see, still the Pharisees, they're, they're not even looking for the Messiah in the Scriptures. They are laser-focused on accomplishing the law set forth by Moses, all by themselves. They knew that they were born spiritually dead. They had the Old Testament. They knew what Adam had done, separating the Adamic race from God. They knew that they were spiritually dead. And they were so focused on the scriptures and so dedicated to following the law and trying to eliminate the separation by their own works, trying to follow the law to the letter, to be perfect. But they lost sight 
of the fact that it's impossible. They can't be perfect by themselves. They need a savior. They were so dedicated to the scriptures that they were in fact looking to the scriptures to give them life instead of the one who they testify to. We have to be careful not to copy the Pharisees. Um, the scriptures, and Jesus is referring specifically to the Old Testament here, testify to a living person. They're not just some rule book. They're not a guide on how to live life with these 10 easy steps, or really, in this case, 613 not-so-easy steps. Um, the scriptures are a message revealing who Christ is to the world because he is the only one who can give life. If you're spending your life worshiping the Bible, you're missing the big picture. Don't get me wrong, the Bible is great. It's awesome. But it has a purpose. And if you miss that, you're missing out on something so much better than just words on a page. You're missing out on a relationship with the creator of the universe who can give you whatever advice you need in real time. Again, don't forget, the whole purpose of the Bible is to reveal the heart and the will of God, who is Jesus, to the world. These are all the witnesses that Jesus brings before the uh, prophecies, pro Pharisees, bleh, can't speak today. Um, John the Baptist, his own works, the Father, the very scriptures that they have been reading all of their life. Um, and what we see next is Jesus' closing statements. I do not receive glory from men. So what is he saying here? Glory is defined um, as high renown or honor won by notable achievements. Now, why does he say that he receives no glory from men? He refers to all of mankind, not just the Pharisees that he's talking to right now. He's referring to all of the Adamic race, really. Because at that point, there, were no, there was not one man who was spiritually alive, who had spiritual life, except for Jesus. They were incapable of giving glory to Jesus because they were spiritually dead. They had no notable achievement. The only notable achievement worth anything to God was perfection, the perfect adherence to the Mosaic law. <clears throat> of course, as I've stated before, this was impossible. The whole point of the, of the law was to make clear that it is impossible to accomplish through our own means. So what was the solution? Well, Jesus said it a few verses ago, to hear and believe. Um, what does Jesus say after this? But I know that you, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves. Well, we know that he knows the hearts of all men, as it says earlier in John, so we know that he knows them. So this next statement, that you do not have the love of God in yourselves, first of all, Jesus just knows that as a fact. But that's also supported by all of the testimonies that we just saw. The four testimonies that we just saw prove that, he has, that they have no love of God in themselves. So, next verse. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and you do not seek the glory that is from the one and only God? 
So Jesus is saying that they're blind, basically. He says that he is the son of God. He is right there and they won't receive him. The giver of life, the embodiment of the word of God, and they just completely pay no attention to him. Not even that, they're persecuting him. They're going against him. And yet, if anyone else comes, no matter how spiritually dead, they'll accept them right away. How can you believe when you're so blind to the truth that you would prefer to give glory to another, raising each other up on pedestals as if they were in an Olympic medal ceremony or something, when in fact they haven't even finished any race? Um, who can adhere to the law better? Who can work harder? Who can last longer without sinning? Who can memorize more of the scriptures? They were in a constant battle between these questions. We today sometimes do the same thing. We get so stuck in thinking about how well we perform, how well we measure up to everyone else. Did I sin today? That we lose sight of the fact that Jesus already won the race for us. He ran the race perfectly. And he's even willing to share the trophy. The Pharisees were so stuck on seeking the glory from one another that they couldn't care less how much better the glory of God was. They had invested so much in themselves, of themselves, in this lie of works that they were so full of pride regarding their actions and how good they were at following the scriptures that they refused to acknowledge that there was a much better way even when it was laid right before their feet. Today, if you have accepted Christ, you already have the trophy. Act like a winner. So what do I mean by that? Act like a winner. Well, Olympic athletes, if they already have a gold medal, they don't stumble around in a race. They're not like uh, a child running a, um, one of those, like, uh, marathons they have in elementary school or something. Um, they run with perfection. Their form is perfect. Their musculature is perfect. Um, everything about how they run is as close to perfect as they can get. They don't focus on um, when they're next going to stumble or when their next injury is going to be. They focus on the trophy. So how does that translate to spiritual life? Well, we need to be focusing on Christ, not on when we're going to sin next or what mistakes we're going to make, because even Olympic athletes do occasionally stumble. They do make mistakes and they do get injured, but that's not what they focus on. They focus on the ultimate prize. So that's when I say, act like a winner. That's what I mean. So, last verse in chapter 5, or last couple of verses. Do not think that I, that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Again, Jesus tells the Pharisees that they've put their hope in Moses, in the scriptures, and in the law, thinking that they would find life there. But Moses and the scriptures 
are the ones who, in fact, accuse them because they think that they can perfectly adhere to the Scriptures when in reality, there's only one who could. In verse 47, I think he's pleading with them to listen to him. So I guess that's this. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? So he's saying, please, believe my words. Believe his writings, because I don't want to judge you. Again, we see his heart is not to condemn, but to save. So, to summarize all of that, we see Jesus defending his actions, saying that the Pharisees have no right to judge him. We see Jesus prosecuting the Pharisees, saying that unless they believe him, their own law will condemn them to a resurrection of judgment. We see that Jesus has witnesses in abundance, and we see Jesus' plea for the Pharisees to listen to his words. That's about all I have. Uh, we can open the floor for uh, discussion now. Anyone have any questions or comments or whatabouts? Or... Go ahead. So is your journey marker um, back to the <laughs> <laughs> I didn't... I didn't really design a journey marker today, but I guess if, if, if you had to have one, it would be if um, you already have the trophy, act like a winner. Yeah. I think that's really um, the big message about uh, with the Bible is that Jesus has, has given us the trophy. Um, how wonderful that is. How amazing. And in these passages specifically, he really shows what I see as his authority. He is proving his authority. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for the guy to pick up his mat, that was like just really little faith to do that. Jesus specifically did that, I believe, to stir up controversy. He wanted them. He wanted all of this to take place yep. so he could show his authority. So, um, you know, the Pharisees wanted to believe that their... Um, favor with God could could be shown by their obedience to these laws okay and they were completely missing the whole point and so you know Jesus shows his authority here several times um, not only proving who he is but showing who he is but he also shows um, power and authority compassion um, with his words in these scriptures and I think what's so important to understand in all of this is that um, he specifically you know when he did miracles he did miracles, um, not just for that person, for the miracle. I mean, that was a small thing. He was doing these miracles to show the disciples who he was, to show mm -hmm. the crowds who he was, to show the Pharisees who he was. It, you know, it took little faith, like I said, for most of these people um, to have these miracles. He was, he was specifically choosing people to mm -hmm. show who he was, you know, through the Messianic law. So, anyway, that's my take on that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Oh, good. I was just... To me, one of the most key questions in this passage that Jesus asked, I think, was of the beggar when he said, do you want to be well? Because he's, in a sense, saying to him and to the Pharisees, to us today, right. um, 
you're, you're going to have to want to be well. You're going to have to want a relationship with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't make that happen. That's at that's, that's your request, and all that it requires is belief in me. But maybe you're happy here uh, being a beggar. You know, Maybe you like to wallow in your misery and mm-hmm. have people feel sorry for you or, or whatever. I think the same thing for modern people you know, in today's world maybe who don't. Maybe yet believe, but it's a real step of faith. That's what faith is, believing in the unseen. It's like, it's so comfortable and easy to take what, you know, what you're used to if you don't have any real understanding or picture of what um, total, you know, redemption and, and having that relationship is. It's, it could be scary or whatever, but... I think yep. that's the key question. Do you want to be well? Definitely. Uh, yeah, in, re- in, in relation to, do you want to work to be well, or do you actually want to be well? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. yeah, especially a question to the Pharisees. Like, do you actually want the law fulfilled through me? Or yeah. Do you want to continue in your stumbling through the law? And, you know, the Pharisees clearly like the hierarchy they've set up and there's there's the power structure and everything there and Jesus is saying look this is the right way and I, he has all this grace and is willing to give but they it's a question of whether they want to accept it yep yeah, That's a great point. yeah well I, I think uh, Jennifer is absolutely right the whole healing of this guy is what we talked about last week is to set up this this trial yeah we've right. been calling yep. it absolutely yep. because you know for because it's really the same question it's uh do you want to be well that you just said is the question he asked the beggar and the Mm -hmm. question if you will to the pharisees is do you really believe moses are you really willing to believe moses it's like what does that mean to believe moses yep well it sounds like to us in 2019 to believe moses is like to read moses and to like think about jesus i don't think that's what it meant to believe Moses in in their culture. I think he's saying, you guys are not doing the law that you are putting your hope into. Mm-hmm. If you believed Moses, then you would not then you would be realizing how absolutely inept you are at actually doing what Moses requires. So they thought Moses was their defender. Oh, all these guys are trying are doing what I told to do. Jesus says, no, Moses is your accuser. Because you're not fulfilling these 613 steps to godly living the way he prescribed it to be. If you actually did what Moses was calling you to do, mm-hmm. then you would believe me. Because you would realize what the law is intended to do. To bring absolute destruction, to increase sinning, as Paul talks about. And not to increase righteousness, but to increase sinning. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is saying, if you really put it all in with Moses who you think is defending you, then you would believe me because you would realize your need for me. Just like the beggar. Do you want to get well? I mean, not the beggar, the, uh, the, the um, guy who was sick yeah, at the, the house of sick mercy. Man. Do, do you want to get well? Do you want to do this on your own, trying to get into the final line? Do you want me to give you what you could never get on your own? And it's a perfect, you know, it's just the wisdom of God. It just blows me away every single time. He doubles the requirement of testifiers, like you said, 
And, um, and then he said, I don't receive glory from men. Like that struck me fresh just now because how many of our quote unquote purpose statements for churches and stuff is to blank God. Yeah. Glorify God. Glorify God. God. Right? Right. And even <clears throat> Jesus says it in the high priestly prayer in John 17, which we'll get to, you know, several chapters, is I have given them the glory that mm-hmm. you have given me. Yep. Paul says in Ephesians 5 that he will present the bride to himself in all of her glory. And so this is like a, what's it called? Like a, a paradigm shift of mm-hmm. we don't, how do, what glory do we give God? Right. He has given us great glory by making us one with him. Yep. And, and that's and it, why... It's just amazing to me. Yep. That's why we always say, like, everything that we do, it, I mean, it's only God's glory in the first place. Right. Like, everything that I've said isn't of me in the first place yeah. because I have nothing worthy to give. Yeah. I, right. of myself, yeah. before Jesus was in me, had no spiritual life. Right. So... Yeah. Yeah. So it's. I mean, we certainly respond. We obey the gospel by believing it. But, mm-hmm. but the idea of our purpose is to glorify the one who says he doesn't get any glory from us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's rethink yeah. that a little bit. You know, it's, it's all we can do is just bask in his exactly. his glory right. and his grace and his Which love. He has extended to us by giving us union with him. Mm-hmm. Which is what he gets. Due to notable achievement, and it's not our achievement, right. is it? But yeah, in, yep. the, in, the, he, in the Hebrew, Shekinah, the word glory, it literally means weight. And so, like, if you think of a scale, you know, if you are, you know, adding weight on one side of the scale, scale, you are glorifying it. You know, that's the idea, the weightiness of God. So, like, mm-hmm. in that sense, how can we add to the weight of God? He, yep. he is weight right yeah. <laughs> all and in all yep. now we can but what the gospel does is he he by fusing our new heart to him and the, and the new creation he is literally extending his weight his glory to us mm-hmm. and that's why Jesus says in John 17 the glory which you gave me which is this oneness with him I now give to them Mm-hmm. So that they may be one, like we're one. We are one, joined, fused together. May they be like us. May they be one, fused together. So, awesome. Yep. Awesome. To Walt's point about uh, the idea of, of uh, not receiving glory from men, I had to think of it is said about the law if the first was glorious, how much more glorious yeah, right. is the second? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the glory that of men was actually as a result of their reference to the law, which had by now lost its glory. No glory. And yeah. he accused them of, he said, I take issue with you who supposedly are people of God who do not understand the season that you're in. There was a, he was turning a page and they didn't see the glory that, that is present here today. And, um, and you know, you be, I began something kind of started forming in me about I feel good about having faith in this person he's so victorious he has authority 
he's with Purpose, he's due north. And then I was reminded that, uh, that Jesus said that if they persecuted me for being in the, the plumb line and the revelation of God, just remember that they will persecute you too. Mm-hmm. And so yep. it's kind of a sobriety and brings some balance into it. However, the truth, there are people that follow Jesus and he said, you crossed the lake and you came to me because you did eat. And, and he told them, he said, but let me tell you who I'm really about. And then, it, and then he said, not many followed him after that. The, the truth, if we know it, it doesn't matter what happens to us mm-hmm. as a result of knowing him. If he die or if we persecuted, it is it resonates that much with us, and um, I guess yeah. Lord help us to see. Yeah. Well, God's message um, is completely contradictory to uh, the world's message. The world's message is the more power and money and wealth and influence you get, um, the better you are. But God's message is just the opposite of that. It doesn't matter what you have because nothing you have means anything to God. Um, the only thing of significance is God himself and what he gives us. So we have to rely on him, not the other way around. I just have one more thought on these four uh, witnesses. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's hard for us, you know, again, as Gentiles 2019, to really put ourselves in the shoes of these Pharisees. But these four things are what they, like, it was their calling card of what they were uh, about, what they were hoping in and trusting in. They saw John as a prophet. Their whole, their whole, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, authority really came from the, what the prophets had prophesied and people came to them to say, hey, what is the prophecy saying? And so they were the interpreters of the prophecy and they saw John as a prophet. And so Jesus is basically saying, you guys are fake and phony on your prophet yep. following stuff. Yep. Secondly, the works... There were at least two, from, from the prophets, there were two miracles that only the Messiah would do that I know of. One was giving sight to blind, and the second was healing of leprosy, and uh, or of a Gentile of leprosy, I think is what it is. Uh, don't quote me on that. But there were, I think those two, and of course Jesus does those two, and they're like, this is going to be the Messiah. He'll do these two things. Jesus does them, and they're like, uh, never mind. Yeah, he's so not he's like calling him out. <laughs> and, and then you don't hear the Father. You mentioned that. You're yep. great. Would you share there? But G- the Father had just spoke, you know, with his baptism. Yeah. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Yep. Uh, listen to him. Yeah. Right? And, and he, there's, he said, you, don't, you didn't hear that. You, you, maybe they weren't there at the, at the Jordan River when that happened. I don't know. Maybe they ignored it. Or, but but you're, you're, yeah. to your point is they don't have a relationship with the one whom they say they fear. Yep. And then, of course, the scriptures, I mean, they took, like, Joshua 1.8 so literally, like, you know, this is the book of the law, you shall hide it in your heart, you shall meditate on it day and night, where they would actually take, like, pieces of the scripture and, like, roll it up into small, like, little bundles and, like, hang it from their beard and hang it on their shoulders and on their clothing so mm-hmm. they were always, quote-unquote, enveloped by the scriptures, like literally. And Jesus is just like, you, you know, you, 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 you are fa- your fate. He calls them what, washed wash tombs later. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just showing, like, this is an absolute farce, this thing that you guys have going on. If you really believed Moses, which you don't, you'd believe me. So it's just the, the I just am continuously blown away by the, 
the sheer wisdom. I, guess, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be by this time just continually <laughs> blown away by it, but it's just, it's just so awesome every single time. And, and that's mm-hmm. the one who hung on the cross to remove all of this sin. Like that song we sang, I don't know if it was the first one or the second one. It was one of the songs we sang, I forget, this morning. It was, just, it was just beautifully spoken of how he took away by his work the, the sin of the world. All these things that are so frustrating to him, I'm sure. Like, if you believe, you know, he's taking, taking away all of this sin of these Pharisees who are, you know, doing what they did to him. And I don't know. It just makes me fall in love with him more. Yep, definitely. Well, you know where he says there will become a time where the dead will rise? Yeah. Is he talking about the dead before um, the death and resurrection of Christ, those people? Or is he speaking in regards to all people? Or is he speaking, is that in reference to the Old Covenant? Or is that in reference to so all people in the future? He spoke twice about the dead rising. And I don't have those here. But the first was, um, I think, specifically about those people that are alive. And the second, I think, is about everybody. everybody. Um, that's my opinion, anyway. Also, there's a time right, when he resurrected the people that already came out of the tombs. Right. Yeah. Right. And some of it is physically, about yeah. physically yeah. the dead will come to life. The, the but, right? yeah. Everything. It certainly has to include the spirit, right? But it has to include that. If it does include physical, like Lazarus and these other, then great. But I mean, I think his bigger point is uh, the new creation. You know, the yep. resur- as Paul says in Romans, uh, for he calls into being that which does not exist, the new, the new man, the new heart. And so it, it has to include that in my because he says, Greater things than these, you know, yep. uh, uh, the time is coming. The, the, the life will be given to the dead. And so I think it has to include, you know, Ephesians 2 stuff. You know, I was, you know, we were dead, but by, but by the riches of his mercy, he made us alive together with Christ, right? Yeah. It has to include. If it also includes, you know, Lazarus and, you know, the, the other people, then fantastic. Just but icing those on guys, the cake, right? Those guys <laughs> died again physically, too. You know, remember, like, they rose for a bit, you know, but then they died again. Yep. But the greatest of all is this injection of the Holy Spirit in his life, which is eternal life. Yep. Um, I think that's ultimately what he's definitely talking about. Um, but not to exclude the other, because, yeah, sure, Lazarus, the, I'm forgetting the other two or three people, the little girl, you know, some it's others. That, well, it says, I believe it's written, that he did many more miracles right. than that's, that's the last chapter of John. Yeah, yeah. so... Yep. Books, not enough books to contain it all. Right, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Cool. All right, well, thank you all so much for coming. And, um, <laughs> I guess we'll... Uh, close this uh, Yeah. Close the word of prayer? Yeah. yeah so Do you want to pray for us, Walt? Next week, which is the feeding of the 5,000. What's cool, too, is like there's no like conclusion to this. It doesn't say like the Pharisees got really ticked off, picked up rocks, wanted to kill them. That's the end of it. Or yeah. Verse 47 is the end. And then the very next thing is after these things, he went, you know, people followed him, and he does the feeding of the 5,000. So it's just uh, neat, again, where it's um, what, what's going on. What's, what, what's going on in the minds of these Pharisees? Like, they are got to be, I mean, they're... they're burning with anger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
that's eventually why they yeah. go after him so much. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. What can you say to this? <laughs> what, what can you say to this? <laughs> well, thank you, Derek. We really, really appreciate it. Blessed. Yeah. Well, again, it's all God. It's not me. <laughs> okay. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for uh, Derek, for him sharing. Uh, and, and we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your mercy that is certainly new every day. And as this invalid was healed at the house of mercy, each one of us who have come to trust you, have, you have brought the house of mercy into us. And so, Father, we do not rest on our works, our efforts, but we rest in your work, your effort of finishing, putting an end to sin, Daniel said. An end to sin on the cross. No more accounting. Paul says that you are in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to yourself, no longer counting trespasses. The reckoning of sin is done. We sang about it this morning, but do we believe it? Because if, if your wrath is not satisfied, that was the lyric from the song this morning. If your wrath is not satisfied, then we are hopeless. Absolutely hopeless, for we are back in some other system, some other economy, some other covenant, trying to get clean, trying to get close. And that is hopeless, futile. You know better. So you have cleaned us and you have taken the old us, crucified it with you, and have raised us new, a new creation, fused to you, where Ezekiel says that your very desires that are now etched onto our new hearts. So like Derek said, let's live like it. Let's live like the winners we are. And we thank you so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.